Why'd y'all get so quiet? That's kind of eerie. All right, guys, it is good to be here this morning. I know Aaron's already gave y'all a report about Jerry, but I want to remind y'all, please, continue to lift him up in your prayers. Um, this has been a very, very serious week uh, here with the staff, and it's been, been kind of heart, heart-hitting, to be honest with you, because when you see a man that you love so much who's become one of your mentors, even one of your heroes, suffer in such a way, it just really hits you hard. So I'm going to ask that you continue to lift him up in prayer. Please continue to lift up the family in prayer as they travel back and forth. I think Melissa's on her way down there to be with him right now overnight. And also lift Mary up in prayer too because Mary had a um, nerve block procedure last Monday before all this hit and it's just been one roller coaster after another for the family. So just pray for that peace that goes beyond anything that we can understand during these situations and again thank you for all of you who have reached out asking how you can help. I promise as soon as I find a way you can help I will make it available. I promise you that. This morning we got a uh, we got a special morning this morning. First, we're going, or second, we're going to have baptism at the end. Glad to be able to baptize Ryan and his mother Karen. So looking forward to that. But also, we also have our family from Mountain Fellowship Camp with us this morning. Uh, for those who don't know, Mountain Fellowship Camp is a camp that we do support over in Suchus, Georgia. Uh, Miss Lisa's going to come up and give you a little report about what's going on because Tim can't keep up with it all. But, I love you, brother. But then Tim's going to share a testimony with you about something very, very close to them. And I, I ask, please, give them full attention this morning to what they have to say. At the end of service, if you would like to make a donation to Mountain Fellowship Camp, Tim and Lisa will be at the back. All you need to do is make it out to Mountain make the check out to Mountain Fellowship Camp. They are a full 501c3, and they will be able to get you a tax receipt as well. So with no further ado, Tim, Lisa, make your way on up. Y'all give them a hand. Hi, my name's Lisa, this is my husband Tim, and me and him and our two kids, Lily and Michael, we moved here from Jacksonville, Florida back in 2020, and we are the camp directors at Mountain Fellowship Camp. Um, there's us, and we have assistant directors that live there full-time, and the founders, Don and Shannon Anderson, they come out and help us all the time too, and... Uh, Josh Bashburn, he'll come out and do some things around the camp. But we kind of prefer to be called uh, multitasking ninjas instead of camp staff. So we do a whole bunch of different things around the camp. Uh, we cook, we clean, uh, mow grass. Um, there's just a whole bunch of different things that we do. And we always love people to come out and help us. Um, our season really starts off the end of May. Uh, we do have a big group coming at the end of April, but our season goes from May till the end of July, and we are branching out and getting a lot of different groups coming year-round now, so that's always a big encouragement. Um, 
we get close to about 700 kids that pass through in the summer season. So that's a huge opportunity for us to see these kids, talk to these kids, and share God with these kids. Um, and kids are great. Kids will tell you how it is all the time. Uh, they all have a lot of opinions on stuff, especially the food. Some really love it, some not so much. Um, so our community up in Suches, we realized not too long after we were there that we weren't put at this camp just for the camp. We were there for this community. There's about 1,200 people living in Suches, and I would say that's a little generous. There's probably 900 people there full-time, and these people, these families, they're broken families. There's not a lot of... Um, parents that are married living together with these families. There's a lot of grandparents raising these kids, aunts and uncles raising these kids. Um, we have three main churches, and in those three main churches, there's probably 20 to 25 members every Sunday at these churches. I'm not great at math, but that's, that's a big gap, a big gap and a big need for God up there. Um, in the school, the local school, Woody Gap, that is the smallest public school in Georgia. There are 58 children enrolled from kindergarten to 12th grade. So our kids have a great chance of being uh, head of their, yep, valedictorian, head of their class. And our two kids um, and four others that we know of actually go to church. So out of 58 kids, that's that's a big, huge need for God. So we decided to start a Bible study, a community Bible study. We call it Community Connection, and we meet once a month on Fridays. We feed them because if you feed people, they'll come. And uh, we feed them. We do a short Bible study, and then the kids get to hang out. We play basketball. Our first, we started in January, and our first one, we had about 40 people come. Half of those were kids. They came, they played, they ate, and they stayed. We had to kick them out. Um, it was a school night, so we decided to move it to Friday so that they could stay longer. And our last one will be next, next Friday, um, and then we'll stop for the summer season. We'll pick back up in August. But we've been really encouraged that these kids are still coming and the adults in the community. And our goal is to be that stepping stone for them to come to us and hear the word of God so that we can get them into these local churches. Um, we have also decided to offer something at the camp for these kids. And we went to the board and we asked if we could possibly host a free camp for these kids and such as. Um, they, they just can't afford, they can't afford to send their kids to camp. So the board approved that the camp would take on the cost of all middle schoolers and high schoolers to come for four days and we were going to have a band and we'd have a speaker and they would come and they'd get to hear the word of God. So, so far we have 15 kids signed up, which is huge. There's 36 kids total in middle school and high school and we're really, really excited, but we're just praying that all 36 kids come. We did have a friend of the camp donate 36 Bibles, so each kid will be able to take a Bible home. And um, we just ask that you, you pray specifically for that camp, that these kids will come. We're going to have the parents drop them off and have dinner with us and worship with us. So pray that their hearts are open, too, to, to hearing the Word of God. 
Um, we also have work days out at the camp. If, if it doesn't matter, young or old, y'all can come out, you can help. We clean windows, we pick up sticks, we cut down trees. Um, so there's something for everyone to do. And we always post that on our Facebook site or um, if you want to shoot us your email address, we'll always keep you in touch that way. So that's all I got. Over to you. Well, um, do I have to touch anything or is this on? It's good? Okay. Um, good morning. Uh, like she said, my name is Tim. And uh, now you know a little bit about the camp. I want to tell you a little bit about how we got to, uh, got to the camp. We've been here in Suches for two and a half years. I did have to push something. You got it, Mike? Okay. Am I good now? You're good. Okay. So we've been in Suches for two and a half years, um, and we've been members at Harmony Grove for just about two and a half years. So now we're all family. Uh, so it's time that now you know a little bit about our, our story. Um, I told Scotty I can, I can share my testimony pretty quickly, but since we're here in church and I got you for a little while, I'm going to go a little more into detail. Um, sorry. Um, I want to start when I was a kid. I was born in Jacksonville, Florida, um, May 19th, 1975. Some of the kids in here, yes, that's a long time ago. Um, I was born into a family that went to church on Sundays and Wednesdays. And uh, then when I was four years old, my parents decided to get a divorce and separated and I moved out with my mom and my sister and uh, my mom about a year later my mom remarried a military guy who happened to be my dad's best friend so I'm not real clear on exactly what took place there but you can probably put two and two together um, so from the age of four on um, you know I'd gone I'd gone to church and after four my parents didn't take me to church so um, I, I grew up with, a, with a, a man that was pretty abusive, not only verbally, but physically. Uh, he, he was angry all the time, and he liked to come home and hit. Uh, I won't go into great detail about what he did, but I, I, have, I have plenty of scars and plenty of concussions to, uh, to, 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 to show uh, what my childhood was like. It wasn't very pleasant, um, but... That was, that was my parents, and that was my childhood. So I didn't, I didn't know much about God, didn't know much uh, except for up through four, one through four. Um, when I was 10 years old, um, I got to go see my dad. Me and my sister got to go stay with my dad for a couple of weeks for summer vacation. And during that time, well, a little bit before that time, I had... Uh, I knew that he went to church Sundays and Wednesdays, and I really wanted to impress him, so I memorized my books of the Bible uh, from start to finish, Genesis to Revelation. And uh, when I got there, I, I told him the books of the Bible, and he was real proud of me. And I told him, I said, you know, I also want to accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior, 10 years old. He was super excited. I was excited. And... Uh, in the two weeks, that's a very short time frame for a pastor to set up a baptism, but we did that. 
went to his church and, and I got baptized and I professed to, to receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Um, after that vacation, I went back home and went back to the abuse, went back to the same thing. Nothing really changed. Um, I'd get into trouble and I'd go into my room and I'd pray to God, God, if you could just get me out of this, get me through this, that would be great because I really don't have anybody else. Well, as the years progressed, the prayer stopped. You know, I didn't, I didn't pray to him as much. Um, then I, at, at, at 16 years of age, still living with my mom and my stepdad, it, it had gotten pretty bad at the house, and uh, I came down to a decision. It was, basically, it was going to come to me or my stepfather. One of us was not going to make it. Um, the, the abuse got really, really bad, and I decided to leave. So I moved to Jacksonville, Florida, um, which I was living in Texas at the time. I moved to Jacksonville, Florida to live with my dad at 16. And he didn't give me any rules. He didn't give me any guidelines. And I had been, for almost 16 years of my life, I had been suppressed and kept down and uh, didn't have a social life, uh, pretty restricted. So he let me, let me free. He took me to church and introduced me to all these church kids. And... Uh, I, I kind of noticed my, my first impression of going to church was that um, people, when I was hanging out with these kids afterwards and their parents, I would notice that they would go to church and, and they would be one thing and then when they'd go home be around their kids, they'd be something totally different. And I got a real bad taste for church um, at 16 years old. So my life just kind of roller coastered out of control. I went and hung out with all the wrong kind of people, became one of the wrong kind of people um, for a couple of years. And uh, around 19 or so, it just, that, that, kinda, that stuff kind of faded out. I, I needed to get a job, I needed to get stuff in order, and I needed to get my life together. So um, started dating my now wife of 23 years. Um, and I was working full-time. I was working for a construction company pouring concrete. It uh, wasn't long after starting that job that I opened up my own business. And for a few years, I was running my own company. And, you know, I, I, I became a self-made person. I looked at it as, look at what I've done. I, I've come from this horrible childhood, horrible background. And, and now we have this nice house and these cars. And, and uh, I, I'm providing well for my family. I'm showing her how much I love her by providing for her. And uh, this, this our, you know, early on in our marriage, I had, you know, we, we have these two kids here, but we also have two others that you don't know about. Um, well, some of you have met, our son has, has come to join us. He graduated college last year, Travis, and he is living on his own and, um, in Tallahassee and dating a girl, hopefully going to get married soon. Um, but we also had a daughter. And uh, just after we had Travis, not even well, a year after we had Travis, uh, Lisa got pregnant with Taylor and gave birth to Taylor. And throughout these next five years, um, man, I'm, I'm, I'm running full tilt. I'm, I'm going as hard as I can at work. I'm leaving at 3 a.m. and I'm coming home at 9.30, 10 o'clock at night working, trying to make as much money as I can to provide for my family. Uh, didn't take them to church. Wasn't leading them in any kind, of, any kind of path, direction towards God. But I was doing what I thought I was supposed to be doing. And uh, my daughter 
uh, May 1st, she turned five years old, and that was 17, 17 years ago. Um, and five days after her birthday, I'm at work, and I'm 45 minutes across town, and I get a phone call from my wife, and she says, honey, there's been an accident. Um, the police and the fire department are here. You need to come home. And I said, well, what's going on? She said, there's been an accident. Taylor's, Taylor's gone. And I said, what do, you, what do you mean Taylor's gone? Like, to the hospital? What, what, tell me what's going on. And all she could get out was, Taylor's gone. You need to come home. So that didn't really register to me until I got in the truck and started, started on my way home. So I realized, okay, my daughter is, my daughter is deceased. She's gone. What am I supposed to do now? So on this 45-minute drive, which seemed about four hours long, I went through a lot of emotions. Uh, uh, I, was, I was upset at first, and then I got angry, and I pretty much said everything I could say, and I um, hit just about everything I could hit inside my truck. And uh, about just a couple minutes before I got home, it's just kind of, I got it all out of my system. And my wife had told the police uh, and fire department, she said, look, you cannot let him go back there and see her like this. Uh, she had obviously seen my daughter after she passed away. And they said, don't worry, we got it. She said, no, you don't understand. When my husband gets out of that truck, he's going to want to go see her. Don't worry, we'll take care of it. Well, I got there and I pulled up and I got out of my truck and I went over. I walked right over to my wife. And at that time, I'd gotten all the emotions out. And I just went over and gave her a hug and I said, are you okay? Um, where's Travis? You know, we'll, we'll get through this. Um, and that was, that was it. I didn't, I didn't need to go back there and see her at that time. Something just cleared that for me where I didn't need to. I didn't understand at the time what it was, but later on I did. The next couple of days, uh, we, we didn't really eat very much. Um, kind of in a fog. I hurt from, I ate like I've never ate from head to toe. Uh, I've been through a lot of physical pain growing up. I've never experienced any kind of pain like losing my daughter. The worst thing, I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy. Um, but like I said, three days after this had taken place, uh, hadn't slept a whole lot, hadn't eaten a whole lot. Um, but I laid down in bed and, uh, and I cried out to a God who I had not talked to you know, since I was a young kid, asking me, asking to get me out of trouble. Um, I didn't know else to turn. I was broken. Uh, I thought, you know, look at, look at what I've accomplished despite how I grew up. And I realized in, a, in an instant that I was in control of nothing. I didn't even control the air that went into my, went into my lungs. And broken, I cried out to God and I said, God, I give it up to you. I, I, don't, I don't know what I'm supposed to do next. I don't know what direction I'm supposed to take with my family. God, I want you to take control of my life. Teach me to be the, the man that you want me to be, the father that you want me to be, and the husband that you want me to be to my wife because I can't do this on my own anymore. And through that prayer, I, I, I just poured out my heart to him and uh, I fell asleep to that prayer, which I, like I said, I hadn't slept very much in, in the past couple of days. But when I woke up, it, 
it felt like God had just picked me up in his hands and said, finally, finally, I can, I can use you. This is what I've wanted. This is what I created you for. I wanted you to come to me. So I don't say that to say that God took my child so that I would come to him. I'm saying that God allowed through that horrible circumstance, he used that to bring me to him. When I was a kid, I did not, I didn't know there was two parts to being a believer. Did you know there was two parts to being a believer? One, you accept the free gift of salvation. Jesus, you know, he offered, he sacrificed himself for this salvation to keep you from hell. I didn't realize that part two was, you also need to make him the Lord of your life. Well, at 10, I accepted the free gift, but I didn't pursue Jesus as my Lord and Savior. So through the loss of my daughter, that journey started. Um, my wife, you know, part of that story is a little backstory. My wife grew up in London, England. She was born in London, England. She lived there for 13 years before she came to America. She does not have a British accent anymore, so don't even bother asking. Um, but her parents did not raise her in church either. Uh, basically, England, if there is a religion, it's, it's Catholic, and they were not practicing, and she knew nothing about, knew nothing about God moving here. Uh, but in the early ages of our marriage with uh, Travis and Taylor, uh, Lisa was taking them to our local church, which also had what they called the learning tree, which was under kindergarten. Um, you, you could take your kids there, and it was basically they were watching them, and they were sharing Christ with them. Um, so both Travis and Taylor both got to go to that, that learning tree, and Lisa would go by the sanctuary of the church, and she would come home to me, and she would say, you know, I don't know what it is, but something is, something's pulling me towards that church. It's saying, I, I need to go in there. And I said, you know, well, I, I'm not really big on church, so you go ahead. I pursued work. I pursued money. And when I wasn't doing that, I was fishing offshore. So for a couple, two years before Taylor's passing, Lisa had started going to the church. And she had started learning about God in church. Um, so little, that's the little backstory. Now to catch up with after our daughter passed away, that third night I laid down to go to sleep. Um, and after my prayer, I fell asleep. And when I woke up, I felt like God had got me in his hands and said, I got it now. I can, I can use you now. Well, when I woke up, I looked over at my wife and she looked at me and she gave me this weird look and said, everything's going to be okay. I said, what do you mean everything's going to be okay? She said, last night I prayed to receive Christ. And God, God has told me everything's going to be okay. So God not only brought me to the understanding that, look, I'm not supposed to be in control. He is. But he also brought my wife at the very same time and said, I've got this. I've got you now. That's where 15 years ago, 18 years ago, excuse me, 18 years ago, our journey started. 17. 17 years ago. I'm horrible with dates. I know the date that I was saved, and I know the date that I made Jesus my Lord and Savior. Um, but 17 years ago, that's when our journey started. Um, the change that took place in my life and her life is incredible. Absolutely incredible. Night and day. Um, back in 2008, 
is around this time, um, you know, everybody knows how America's recession kind of started, the economy started crumbling in 2008. Um, I had just gone, finished going on a trip, a missionary trip to Haiti, to third world country, and saw people living in mud huts, bathing naked in, in their streams, where people were dumping their business out upstream, so it was coming down, these kids were bathing it. These kids, people had nothing, absolutely nothing, and I came home from that trip, and I was disgusted at myself, you know, for chasing all of this, chasing money, making that my idol, making that my goal. And God revealed to me, look, it ain't about money. It's about me. It's about serving me. I need you to serve me. Um, so I asked God, just, just before 2008, I asked God to help me get rid of these monetary things in my life that were, taking, that were serving as idols over Him. God didn't just come in and take everything away. Um, through, my, through my company, I, I started losing the... Uh, residential stuff, the work just stopped coming in and uh, money started getting tighter and then um, I had choices. I can, I can keep the boat or I can lose the house. So there went the boat. Uh, I can keep the motorcycle. A few months later, I can keep the motorcycle or keep the house. There goes the motorcycle. So all these things, the boat, the motorcycle, the, the truck, the expedition, all these things that I had put priority in, God let me make the choice of removing them. But it was a hard choice. I, it was one or the other. Uh, at one point, we actually moved out of our house. And fortunately, her grandmother owned the house across the street. And we were able to move into that house and, and basically pay her a very small amount of rent. And I watched people live in my house for two years. So talk about a humbling experience. It came down to everything and almost, almost lost the house. But God didn't, God didn't take all of that. God gave me what I'd asked for. So be careful what you ask for. It was, a, it was, it was the best, best thing that happened to me because I was able to then focus on my family and focus on God and not focus on chasing money. Um, I started going to our church youth camps. I was invited by our pastor at the time to go to uh, my first youth camp. And he wanted me to be a family uh, speaker and take these teenagers and share the gospel with them, share uh, scripture with them. And uh, I said, sure, that'd be great. I thought they were going to eat me alive. I, I was like, these kids, these kids have been raised in church. They know scripture. That, there's nothing I can teach them. Um, but I agreed to do it. And I stepped out and I went on my first youth camp and had family groups with these kids and spent time with these kids. And I shared my testimony first night, which thank you God for giving me the testimony and, and telling me to share it. Um, shared that with them. And it just, it was a divine moment. Uh, that was when I knew when these, the way these kids responded. I knew that youth camp, youth is what God was pulling me towards. That's where you need to be a part of. After that first camp, I came back to the house and I told my wife, I said, look, I really feel that God is leading me to do something with a camp, but I can't afford to purchase a camp. I can't, I can't afford to have a staff. I can't afford to, 
you know, to, to make this happen. It would have to be God just saying, here's a camp. That doesn't happen. Does it? Well, uh, two and a half years ago, I came up to such as Georgia to Mountain Fellowship Camp with our youth department and our church. That was in a July. And the directors at the time said, look, we're, we're, the, the camp is expanding. We're looking to bring some assistant directors up here to, to work hand-in-hand hand with us and help us grow this camp. And, uh, and our lead pastor at the time, who was also our speaker for the youth, said, you need to go talk to that guy over there, which was me. And they said, uh, they, they came and they told me what was going on at the camp. And I said, well, let me go talk to my wife and see if this is something that we can do. And I went home and I talked to my wife and I thought, she's like, no, she doesn't want to move up in the mountains. She's going to say no. But she didn't. She said, let's pray about it. Let's talk about it. And I was like, okay, this is actually on the board. Let's talk about it. Well, we did pray. And we, we agreed to, to come up and, and work with them for a year and, and assist and do whatever we needed to do. And just before, about uh, three days before, three, three days maybe before we were supposed to move up here, uh, we got a call from the director saying, hey, we got a call, we're going to Montana for the weekend. We're going to Montana this weekend. And I said, that's good, when are y'all going to be back? He said, no, we've been called to Montana, and we're recommending you guys to be the, the new directors of camp, Mountain Fellowship Camp. So, yes, so... 17 years, 15 years, 15 years in the making, um, God put a camp in our laps. And Don and Shannon, I just want to take this opportunity to say thank you for being open and uh, to allowing us to be blessed. Um, that job does not pay 600000 a year, but again... God, it's not about the money. I've never been more rich in my life than I am at this point. And I hope that this chapter in our life is a very, very long one. Um, I'm glad to be a part of this, this church family. I appreciate you guys for, for what you do do for me and my family. And uh, I hope to get a Christmas card from every single one of y'all this year since we are family. <laughs> And I look so much forward to what God has in store for us um, for the next several years. That is, uh, that's my testimony. And uh, thank you for taking your time to listen and uh, not judge me for being from Jacksonville, Florida. So I am fortunate to be one of those board members on the board for Mountain Fellowship Camp, and I'll testify that our budget isn't even $600,000. That'd be nice. But at the same time, there was a reason I wanted Tim to share his testimony. This is, I'll be honest with you, it's the first time I've got to hear it, but it's not the first time that I've heard about it. See, last week we started talking about, well, we didn't start talking about it. We've been talking about it for a long time. But last week we talked about a story that took place a long time ago. 
And the beautiful thing about the story that we shared last week is it's not finished. It's not finished. And so many times in our life, we find ourselves in a situation where we just can't see God doing anything in our life. Matter of fact, we have times where we question if God is even moving in our midst. But testimonies like Tim give you a 30,000 foot view of possibly what God could be doing in your life. I'm not one of these people who preaches a salvation to where once you get saved, everything's going to be all right. Jesus told us that we would be persecuted because of him. I'm not one of these people who preach a gospel that tells you that you have full understanding once you profess Jesus as Savior. (laughs) Disciples were with him for three and a half years, and guess what? They still didn't get it. I'm not up here trying to sell you goods that have no substance behind them. What I am trying to tell you is, sure, you can make it through this life. Sure, you can have hardship. Sure, you can get through it. But just like Tim shared with you today, I can promise you this. I don't know how I would get through some of the things and how Tim and Lisa got through some of the things that they got through without a father. Without a father who loved them, who cared for them. Without a father who was so willing to do anything to spend eternity with them that he gave his son for them. I don't know how anybody could get through anything in life without knowing that they're loved and valued. And this morning, I pray that you know that. But this morning, if you do not know Jesus as Lord and Savior, I want to ask you to do something with me. I want everybody to close your eyes. And there's some here today that I fully feel truly don't understand exactly what Jesus done for you. And this morning, I want to explain it. You see, Jesus came and he lived the life that none of us could live. He was perfect. He was sinless. He was the model citizen. But at the same time, he was God in the flesh. And the reason he come is he came to seek and save that which was lost. He came for us. You see, a long time ago, we did not, God did not lose his way from us. We lost our way from him. When we chose to make our own thoughts, opinions, and even ourselves, God, we lost our way. So, a loving Heavenly Father sent His Son after His children. But He knew that there was no way, no way that anyone could ever be good enough. And He knew that the penalty of sin was death. 
So Jesus, be him full of love and full of compassion. Tuck the penalty that we deserve. He died for our sins. He died for you and me. But the most beautiful thing about the whole story is that while death was the punishment, the resurrection was the victory. The resurrection is the proof that that sin debt has been paid. The resurrection is the proof that our Father loves us and that He desires to spend eternity with us. And this morning, if you do not have that relationship with Jesus as Lord and Savior, I want to invite you just to surrender it all to Jesus. For the rest of us here, we may be going through a hardship. A hardship that none of us can explain. A hardship that none of us think that we're going to make it through. And I just want to promise you this. And the only reason I can promise you this is because God's word promises us this. In Corinthians, we are told that God will never put anything on us more than we can handle. And see, he's talking to the believers of the church, the Corinthian church. And brothers and sisters, the reason we can take courage in this is because even when we feel like we're all alone, he is always with us. So this morning, I want to give you a chance to respond. As the praise team comes up, I want to ask you, where are you at? Are you that person who doesn't have that relationship with Christ? This morning, if that is you, I invite you to come forward. Maybe this morning you just need a little bit of encouragement to move through what you're going through. If that is you, I invite you to move forward. As our praise team gets ready to sing, the invitation is open. Father, thank you. Thank you for what you're doing in us, through us, and with us. But this morning, Lord, we need you to do what only you can do. Father, I pray that your spirit would draw your children to you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hey guys, Pastor Scotty Gerard here, and I just wanted to say thank you for joining us today. We really hope that this has been a resource that's helped you grow in your purpose for God, but also grow in His glory. We also want to extend an invitation to you to join us here in person at Harmony Grove. We are located at 1008 Town Creek School Road in Blairsville, Georgia. We would love for you to come be a part of our service, to be a part of our small groups. If you have children, we have children's classes on Wednesday night and on Sunday morning. And all this information can be found on our website. We'd also like to continue help you in your growth with Christ. If you have a question, maybe a prayer request, or just need to talk to somebody, you can contact us in the emails below in the description, or you can also contact us through our app and through our website, which are also found in the description below. Again, we hope this has been a blessing to you because we know that you joining us today has been a great blessing to us. Thank you so much. God bless.